0: Uh, Hello, and uh, good morning again. Uh, It's been a while since I've been back here, and um, yeah, I was just uh, sharing uh, with the team back there, just, I know I'm in a good spot because, you know, my kids are saying, oh, we're going to the Walnut Church today. I'm like, yes, we are going to the Walnut Church today, and so, um, you know, that's one of my goals, Um, you know, one of the things about being a missionary is, you know, if you're Going to a different church every Sunday, I mean, the, the kids don't really get a sense of what, what a church commitment is like, right? And so, you know, we purposely go to our sending church every Sunday as much as we can. But the fact that they recognize this church as one of, like, a church that they're familiar with, I think that's also a very good sign, too. So I, I really uh, appreciate uh, you guys serving our, our kids that way. And, um, and yeah, So, yeah, I mean, um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Alex. Uh, My wife, Jen, uh, was in the back, but I think she went into the cry room. Um, (laughs) We have uh, four kids. Uh, My oldest is Haddon. My second is Ryle. Third is Corey. And our fourth is August. And uh, yeah, he's here. Uh, He's turned one in April. So, um, yeah, so we're grateful for that. And if you don't remember our faces, we do have bookmarks to pass out to you to you all um, after the service is done as a means of rem- rem- remembering us and to pray for us as well. Um, yeah, I guess um, I'll, I'll just take this introduction time to just uh, uh, update. So right now, we're still waiting for Taiwan to open up their borders. Uh, we were told uh, sometime in July they would release some sort of plan uh, to... Uh, relaxed their border restrictions, and I was maybe being too hopeful, like, July 1st! And then July 1st came around, and I realized, no, Taiwan is ahead, so it already happened. <laughs> and nothing, nothing was in the news. So, um, yeah, so I'm, we're just waiting still. Uh, we're hoping that there will be some signs that um, borders will be relaxed a little bit more. Uh, we're seeing the other countries like Korea and Japan have already opened up. And so we're just waiting for, to see if Taiwan will follow the same too. But in the meantime, um, a big update is that we, we will still be with our mission organization. But we also ended up taking a pastoral position at a bilingual church in the city that we're going to live in. Um, this church uh, is called Hope Bilingual Church. Um, and it was a church started by uh, an IMB missionary who has retired now. And he, they needed someone to step in. And so I threw my name in there. I don't think they had many options. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so they, they accepted me as, their, as one of their pastors. Um, their only pastor, but one of their pastors there. So, um, and so this is a, I, I, I felt this position was very strategic for my role, um, which was to be a church connector over in Taiwan, and so I figured instead of coming into a church like a complete stranger, um, you know, as I could say, I'm a missionary, um, I could at least come in and say, but I'm also a pastor as well, and so maybe our churches could do some collaboration work together to reach the people of Taiwan with the gospel. And so that's one big update. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm pastoring remotely, which is a, a unique thing. So every Saturday night, I'm booked because <laughs> I have to preach. And so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a great time uh, getting to know and to invest into some of the young men there. Um, we're really hoping to um, raise up these uh, young men to be the leaders of the church. Uh, at least that's one of the goals that I have. Um, and so if you could pray for that, uh, pray for the transition. Uh, this past Last night was the first Sunday that they didn't have their pastor for the last seven years there. So, yeah, it was a little, little wonky trying to work through all the logistics and, you know, getting blindsided. Like, oh, you're doing that? Oh, wait, I thought I, thought I was going to do that. Uh, so that was fun. But, um, but it's, it's an exciting time, and so we're really grateful for that. Um, like I shared with Libby, I, I totally forgot it's Fourth of July weekend. And uh, I know it, was, it, it didn't hit me until Friday night where I was starting hearing fireworks in my neighborhood. And I'm like, why are there fireworks? Oh, yeah, 4th of July. And, you know, it's funny thinking about, you know, for, we're, we're trying to remember um, our nation's history and, um, and celebrating the independence of our nation. But then this Sunday, we're actually talking about the other nations. Right? And I think that's really um, timely, Right, that in the midst of remembering and, commem- and, and really thanking the Lord for what God has done in America, how do we express our gratitude in that? And to express that gratitude by considering and be reminded of the fact that there are others out here in this world that have not heard the name of Christ, who have not tasted the goodness of knowing the grace of God. And so this morning, I want us to look at Luke chapter 24. 44 through 49, and so if you guys could turn your Bibles there with, uh, with me, uh, whether it's through the book or through the app, um, Luke chapter 24, 44 through 49, and, you know, it's always hard as, a, as the missionary coming in to preach at a church, like, what do we talk about missions, because Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is like the passage, right, it is the passage to talk about, um, and rightfully so, but... We have four Gospels, right? We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this morning, I want us to look at the Gospel of Luke in terms of the Great Commission. And I think what we'll find here is we're going to find three compelling components for the Christian's pursuit of the Great Commission. Okay, we're going to find three compelling components for the Christian's pursuit of the Great Commission. And so I'm going to read the text, we're going to pray, and then we'll get started. So starting from verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord that in the midst of celebrating America's independence, that as we are celebrating and remembering the birth of this nation, that we also take the time to remember, Lord God, that there are other nations outside of us that are in need to hear the gospel. And while we have many opportunities here in California to reach the nations here Lord God, there are other nations where that opportunity is not there for them. And so, Lord God, I pray that as we gather here to hear from your word, that these three compelling components, Lord God, would really shape our our minds and shape our hearts. That it will compel us, Lord God, to continue to pray for the nations to continue to desire lord god to see the gospel go out to see your light penetrate into this world of darkness so that souls may be saved that glory and honor can be given to you and so lord god please give us attentive minds and attentive hearts some of us are coming here distracted burdened lord god with pressures with stresses with conflicts, Lord God. But Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to clear those out of our minds and let us hear clearly from your word this morning that it may impact us and that the fruit of it, Lord God, would come forth in our lives as we go back. And so, Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we look at verse 44 we see the first compelling component for the Christian's pursuit of the Great Commission, and it's the Scriptures. The Scriptures. Now, what we have here in Luke chapter 24 are these collections of moments in which Jesus, after his resurrection, is meeting with different groups of people, right? After his resurrection, he first meets with the women, right? And then after that, he meets with the disciples on the Emmaus Road, And now Christ has appeared to his disciples. And he verifies the reality of his resurrection by not only having the disciples touch and inspect his wounds, but he actually eats a fish in front of them. And so it's after all of these physical evidences have been confirmed, right? Jesus then speaks to his disciples. And the first thing he mentions is the scriptures. Jesus takes the moment to remind them that everything that has taken place and what they are currently experiencing was all spoken by Christ while he was with them. Right? It's one thing to have the knowledge. Right? It's another thing to have the experience of utilizing that knowledge. Right? Jesus tells his disciples that all that took place had been spoken of in the three major sections of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, right? Now, the Law of Moses. How many of you guys know what the Law of Moses is? Yeah? I see, I see a hand raised up there. Yeah, I see a hand. If you're doing, if you're doing this, you're right. There's five books of the, of the, of the Law of Moses, right? <laughs> if you're just raising your hand, yeah, there's five books that consist of the Law of Moses, Right? We got Genesis. And I'm sure there's some sort of song that my kids could probably <laughs> pop in and say, eh, there's a song for that, Dad. Um, now, does the law of Moses speak of Jesus' death, resurrection, and the repentance of the forgiveness of sins? Because that's what Jesus is saying here, right? He's telling his disciples, you should not be surprised by everything that has taken place because the law of Moses, right, the prophets and the Psalms have spoken of them already. And the answer is yes, of course, the law of Moses has spoken of them, right? In Colossians 2.17, it speaks of these Old Testament sacrifices, um, these systems of sacrifices and worship as being a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so when we consider the sacrificial systems that God instructed Israel back in Exodus and later on in Leviticus and later on in Deuteronomy, all of them contain elements, right, where we have this connection between death and the forgiveness of sins. But one clear connection to Jesus is going to be connected back to the Passover lamb. Right, if we turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, we will find very clear instructions on what Israel was supposed to do on the day where the angel will sweep through Egypt and take the life of the firstborn in every household. Right, So um, we don't have to turn there really quick, but what God instructs Israel concerning the Passover or concerning the last plague, the 10th plague, was this. The only way to escape would be through the sacrifice of an unblemished one-year-old lamb and they would smear the lamb's blood over the doorway. And when this is done, the angel will pass over that house as an act of salvation by God. Right? We see later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, right? And so what we see here back in the Old Testament is this idea that an unblemished lamb needed to be sacrificed in order for that household to receive salvation, right? To be passed over by the angel that was going to strike down every firstborn, right? And First Peter confirms that, that this lamb that was sacrificed during this Passover, right, is, a, is pointing back to Christ, And so we can see the themes of sacrifice, death, salvation, as a means of salvation, is found in the law of Moses, right? But what about the resurrection, right? Because, I mean, Jesus made it clear, right? Everything was written about me. Everything that you see here is found in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, right? Jesus quotes that, right? in response to the Sadducees, because the Sadducees, right, they don't believe in the resurrection, right? And so in Luke chapter 20, verse 37, Jesus tells them, but that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And so we see there, there's evidence in the, in the law of Moses about the idea of the resurrection, right, that God is the God of the living. And though Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob have long gone, in God's hands, in God's eyes, they are still alive because they will be resurrected. Now, the prophets, right, we know the prophets, right, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets, right, right? Um, You know, those are probably one of the hardest books, the hardest section to read in the Bible, right? Uh, If you're doing the year of the Bible plan, you'll probably get stumped into Leviticus. But you know, maybe you're 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 inspired and you're 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 like you're motivated, so you get through Leviticus, and then you get to the middle of the year and you're going through the prophets, and you're just like, oh my goodness, (laughs) what is going on here? But the prophets, that whole section, right, will speak of the suffering of about Christ and about everything that he will do. But specifically, we look at the book of Isaiah. Right? Isaiah speaks very clearly about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and also the salvation that comes from it. right? And I'm just going to read uh, certain passages from Isaiah to make that point. Right? Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. right? I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance, talking about the servant of the Lord, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. I mean, that verse should really stick out to us. It, it, it's describing for us the suffering of Christ, right? That he was marred beyond appearance. And in essence, he didn't look like a human, right, after he received the suffering. And Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, We are healed. And so we see there, right, the the atonement, the the sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of sins, okay? So here the prophets are adding on that, hey, Christ, we are speaking about Christ and his death and his resurrection and the peace that he brings through that. Now, what about the Psalms? Do they speak of Christ? The answer is yes, right? Right? Psalm 22 is where we see Christ quote on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? I mean, Psalm 22 is like the messianic psalm. Because in that psalm, we find vivid descriptions of the events of the crucifixion. And again, these were precise details that were made generations before Christ came on earth. Right? We look at Psalm 22 verse 16, "For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. And you can find all of the uh, Matthew does a really good job of this, right? Matthew will quote the Old Testament in the midst of all of these events here, OK? Now, I know we just spent a good amount of time in the Old Testament. I hope I didn't, like, lose any of y'all, okay? (laughs) And you guys are like, oh, my gosh, he's just quoting from the Old Testament again. It's like, yes, I like the Old Testament. (laughs) Because something happens here, right? Because, again, you can have the facts. You can have the truth in your head. But if it doesn't lead into changed lives then it's just occupying space in your brain. Right? We find in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, I believe many of us have had this experience where we have this bunch of information in our heads and suddenly we just understand it. Something clicks. Right? Um. I was trying to debate, like, which illustration to use to capture this, but I'm going to use the one that I feel made the most impact on me that's outside of the Bible, okay? So for those who know me, I'm an English lit major, and so that means, I mean, stereotypically, I'm supposed to read a lot of books. (laughs) Yeah, I do, and I don't. Um, But... If we're talking about fictional children novel books, right? And this could be controversial, so I mean, so I'll take the hit if you guys have a problem with it. But you know, Harry Potter was very, very entertaining for me, right? It was a well-written story. I got into it late, but when I got into it, it was still like maybe on the fourth book, okay? Now, among a lot of the English lit people, right? Or maybe even among Harry Potter fans, right? There could be some debate on who is the most interesting character out of the story. And my nomination for the most interesting character is Snape. Right? I know. (laughs) Right. So I'll tell you why. Right? We don't fully understand Snape's position in the whole story until you get to the final book where we finally realize who Snape is and what he has done, right? Why he treats Harry so poorly. Why does it seem like he kind of like still protects him but doesn't, right? Now, now we know all this information because we already got the 10th book. Or, yeah, we already got the last book. But imagine reading the series as the books were being released, Right I mean, the first book was released in 1997. The last book was released in 2007. So if you think about it, right if you were a Harry Potter head is that the right term? <laughs> right? You were waiting 10 years for this series to come out, And as you're reading each book, right, you were invested. And maybe you had an opinion of Snape from book 6, and you're like, man, what a, what a scumbag, right? <laughs> but then you get to book 10, and all of a sudden, it clicks. All that information about Snape, all that information about his backstory. And then you, you transfer all that back to book 1, and you're like, holy moly, right? <laughs> like, he was actually motivated by something else, right? Right? While this illustration I give may strike a good tone in you, like a very familiar tone, that's the point. It's similar, but it's also different in quality because what we see in verse 45 impacts eternity. It impacts eternity. This act of grace by Christ to unlock their minds, to understand the scripture, really left an impression on these disciples and set the disciples on a trajectory that will impact the, the, the world, even today. I mean, if you want to see evidence of this, we, we could go to the book of Acts, right? In the book of Acts, we see Peter and the other disciples, and they're quoting from the law of Moses. They're quoting from the prophets. They're quoting from the Psalms as they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 through 23, is Peter preaching and he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him whatever he tells you and it shall be that your, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter again preaching again, quotes from the prophets. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 34, Peter again quotes from David and quotes from specifically Psalm chapter 110 verse 1. Right? And you see so you see the impact of what Christ when he unlocks their minds to understand the scriptures and the impact that it had upon the disciples and now it has the impact that we have today. Well, we're sending missionaries left and right over to the nations. So that we could bring the gospel of Christ to them, I, you know. I've shared my story before of how I was convicted to go on missions, and it wasn't because of the numbers. It wasn't because of like, the, you know, the need. It was just the scriptures. The scriptures was just talking to me, just describing to me, right? Like when I went through the Book of Isaiah, and I'm seeing all these Gentile nations. And even the smallest mention of the Gentile nations in the Old Testament, right? And how how God had a plan to save them. I was like, man, those that that verse is talking about me, right? Because I'm not a Jew. I shouldn't be a Jew. (laughs) And so those little nuggets, right, where God is mentioning that I'm I'm going to send, I'm going to save the nations. Was really that that's what really unlocked my mind in setting this trajectory for our family to keep going out to the nations. It is one thing to understand that as Christians we are commanded to be participating in the Great Commission. Again, we find that in verse Matthew, in Matthew 28. But again, what we find here in verse 45 is what, is this compelling component the Christian's pursuit of missions is the renewal of Scripture for the individual. There must be a constant connection from the Word of God throughout the whole process of of whether you're going out on missions or or, or whether you're staying here to support missionaries. Because the first point of attack by the opposition will be your intake of the Word. A lot of times we could be the slaves to the Lord of tyranny, right? And you're just, you're under, you're just always under this, this tyranny of the urgent, right? Like, oh my gosh, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, right? And the, you know the first thing that goes out the window? It's usually your time in the Word. And I, I, I can confess that as a missionary, right? Because you're thinking, I'm doing God's work. I'm doing God's work. I'm doing something good. But man, i got to get there by 9 a.m. I had a long night. And it takes me an hour to get there. And so what usually gets cut off is usually the Word of God, right? I'll catch up on that later. Because what I have is urgent and important. And shame on the missionary, right? Because that shouldn't be the case. Because the Word of God, right, the Scriptures... We need that. We need need that to fuel us so that when we go out and share and proclaim, it's a genuine proclamation, right? It's not some facts that I'm reiterating to someone, right? It's not a presentation that I've done a thousand or a million times, right? But each time I present the gospel, it is a genuine call because I know that call affected me. And I want that call. To affect you. Because I have tasted and seen the goodness of God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to taste that same goodness as well. And how do we do that? By constantly being in the word. Right? I can't imagine what the disciples were feeling in verse 45. When all of a sudden their minds are just unlocked. And you're like, holy moly. (laughs) Jesus, you're right. (laughs) We've been seeing it in the scriptures this whole time and it wasn't until then that they got that light bulb moment. And so what does the scriptures inform the Christian? One, the scriptures inform the Christians that there is a God and that he is the creator of everything and everyone. That he is holy and just. The scriptures informs us that God created man. Man is created in his image and has a very special relationship with God. The scriptures also informs us that God, that man rebelled against God. He sinned against God. And as a result, sin entered the world and so did death. And as a result, this brought forth judgment against all those who oppose God. A judgment of eternal suffering and wrath. Now, if we're to stop there, man, it'll be pretty bad. But no, the scripture has a lot more to say, right? The scripture also informs us that God, in his love and compassion, devised a plan of redemption that involves a consistent message from the Old to the New Testament that requires the sacrifice, the resurrection, and the ascension of his Son in order to uphold God's holiness and to obtain salvation for those who believe. The scripture also tells us that there is an entire world that exists today that stands in opposition to God. And yet they must hear this very message of salvation in order to be spared from God's wrath and to receive his love. These truths, we know, we affirm it, right? And yet it must be unlocked by the spirit for the Christian to see how important this mission truly is and thus worthy of investing all of our time and effort in seeing this commission accomplished. There has to be this illumination, there has to be this daily revelation from Scripture that connects us to our reality, and that will compel us to pray and to engage, whether it's in evangelism, or whether it's in missions, And so what is this commission then? And that's our second compelling component here, the commission. We find that in verses 46 through 48. After opening their minds and understanding the scripture, Jesus then speaks to their new mission. It says in verse 46 through 47, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now he repeats what he has spoken previously concerning the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And now Jesus is moving the disciples into what they have to do next. Right? The ascension is coming. And so here Jesus is giving them this is the trajectory that you need to be on. And so we see here, we see here that in this trajectory, a proclamation is involved. Words are going to be involved here, right? We see that in verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. It involves words. Like, I know I'm not good at communication, right? I know, you're like, man, you, you're a preacher though. Yeah, I mean, like, if I, if I sit down and I'm writing out my words, yeah, I could be okay at it. But those spontaneous conversations and stuff like that, eh, talk to my wife, right? <laughs> she will affirm, right? I just don't communicate. I like to be silent. <laughs> but in this trajectory, communication is involved. Words need to take place. A presence must be felt. Which means lives must be uprooted and replanted. Right? I mean, we live in a day and age where we could proclaim, we could we could speak to people through Zoom, right? Through Facebook video, like I mean FaceTime. I mean, there's so many options now, right? I mean, I do it every Saturday night right? I'm on Zoom, and I see my big old face on the TV screen, right? But it's different when I'm proclaiming something from the screen, whereas now I'm proclaiming something to you in person, right? That's a big difference. right? so that's what it means, like where you, this commission now is going to involve lives that need to be uprooted and replanted so that this proclamation could take place face to face, now, who's the audience? Verse 47 talks about to all nations. And we need to take a step back here and note the difference in the trajectory Christ is giving to, to his disciples to focus on right here. Yeah, they, their minds were just unlocked to the scriptures, right? But, I mean, the disciples, I mean, they were, they were Jews for the longest time and they have been recipients of a type of culture and tradition where this idea of going to the nations is very foreign. When Israel was formed, they were known as the people of God, and when they were established as a kingdom, the Old Testament laws really only had laws concerning how a foreigner may join the kingdom. Right? So the kingdom of God in the Old Testament was meant to be a beacon, a lighthouse Attracting people to God, like, hey, this is this is the kingdom of God. And I'm hearing about this God and I want to I want to worship this God. So I'm gonna go to Israel. I'm gonna join them. Right? And there are these laws that were in place that was that describe what they must do. Now all of a sudden Jesus is telling them, You need to go to the nations. Imagine the paradigm shift for all of these. All all these disciples were, so many years they were taught, we're the people of God, people should come to us. Oh, now you want us to go to the nations? It is a far different, it it is so different in their thinking, right? For so long, the Jews perhaps built within themselves this perspective that they were superior to the other nations because they were the people of God and now you want us to go out to these nations to proclaim this message? This is further emphasized in verse 48 when Jesus tells his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Right? This word witness here, it's not just them observing. right? It's actually they, are, they observed and now they are called to proclaim. They are called to testify what they have learned and experienced. Right? It is a shift from not mere, from merely being a bystander, but now being active participants. Now, what's the message here, right? What's the message, right? The message is repentance for the forgiveness of sins that should be proclaimed in His name. Now, consider the situation that we have here. Okay, you have these Jews, right? who thought they were better than everyone else, right? Now being told, you have to go to the nations. And it's like, okay. Now they're going to go to these nations where they're the foreigner now. Okay? They're the foreigner. And so you, as a foreigner, you're, you're just not privy to certain privileges and benefits, right? And now you're going to these nations where you actually have to say something. Right? You can't just simply be there. You have to say something. Now, if the message that you have to say is something peaceful and pleasing, oh, then maybe it won't be too bad, right? No, what, what is the actual message that these foreigners have to tell to these nationals? It is a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. So you have to tell them, as a foreigner, you're in sin. You're wrong. You need to be forgiven by God. Which God? My God. The foreign God? Yes, my God. And on top of that, you need to change your loyalty and allegiance to God. That's repentance, right? Repentance means to turn back. I mean, you can imagine what the disciples were thinking to themselves, like, you know, we had a history of fighting them. Like, they killed our people, we killed their people. (laughs) And now you want me to go to them (laughs) and tell them, you're wrong. (laughs) You need forgiveness of your sins, and you need to worship my God. (laughs) The message that we proclaim is an offensive message especially as a foreigner entering someone's nation. Again, how would you feel if a complete stranger comes into your home and starts commentating how dirty your home is and how you need to move your furniture, how you need to change the color of your carpet, and maybe just move out of your house altogether because it's just so, it's so run down in their eyes. And yet this is the message that the disciples must carry. Because this is the message, not in their name, but in Jesus' name. And when it says it's in Jesus' name, we know, right? We don't change anything about this message. It's coming from our Lord and Savior. And so how is this commission compelling for the Christian then, to go to, to participate in the Great Commission? I mean, this commission, I mean, it feels very daunting, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know how many times in Taiwan where I got told, like, that's your God. That's a Western God, right? My God is this God. And I'm like, no, you're wrong, (laughs) you know? But why? Why is this a compelling reason? Why is this commission so compelling for the Christian to participate in the Great Commission? And I can think of three reasons. One, the mission is clear, right? There is nothing more frustrating in life than being unclear in what you need to do at your job, right? Yeah, right? If your job is like, I want you to do this, this, and this, and you're like, okay, I did it, and then the person the boss is like, no, that's not how I want it done. Well, come on, like, can you be more clear? Like, how do you want it to be done, right? The commission is very clear for the Christian here. I've shared this statistics with you already, but you know, people are dying every day in this world. Right? 155,000 people dying worldwide without knowing Christ. You know, we, we, we live in Pasadena, and the population there is about 141,000. Right? So think about the size, the scope of Pasadena passing away without knowing Christ again in the affinity group that i'm a part of about 43,000 people die daily without knowing Christ right and that number is about the size of brea so the command to go and preach this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins is very much needed and every year every generation that passes by only makes the mission that much more clear and urgent Now, the reason number two for why this is compelling for the Christian is that the mission is uncompromising. We know what the standards are. The message is in the name of Christ. And so to change the method or the message would be anathema, as Paul would state in Galatians. We know the message and we make it clear to whoever the audience is. We share not only the love of Christ, but we also proclaim the need to repent and to declare privately and publicly their loyalty to Christ and to follow his word. Third, the commission brings joy. The question I've been asking myself for the last two years is whether this call to missions has been changed, right? I mean, two years waiting to do something. I don't know. I don't know what could be an equivalent to that, um, Right? I mean, there has to be some room for change because God's plans for our lives is always open to change. But I think the one thing that keeps me engaged in the commission is the simple joy in fulfilling that calling to obey what the Lord is telling you to do. Right? Part of the reason why I, I, I really, I took this, this pastor job, pastoral position in Taiwan, is that I just, need, I just needed a connection. <laughs> I needed a connection to this nation. Right? I needed a connection to this nation where the gospel could be preached, where the word of God could be taught, where even though I'm remote, discipleship could still happen. You know, one of our goals that we have for Taiwan is to pray and ask God to raise up workers in Taiwan to be sent out into the harvest. Like, we might be in the age now where holding a U.S. passport. Doesn't have the advantages it used to be. And as a result, it is maybe time where other nations must take up and go. And so we pray and we're trying, we're, we want to be engaged in the work in Taiwan to raise up more workers, leaders that would share the gospel not only to the people of Taiwan, but to the nations. I am also strongly reminded of John chapter 17, verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And for me, the only way I know I can receive his joy is just by being part of his will, right? Being part of his plan, being engaged in his work, and finding joy in that. I mean, you guys have a great opportunity coming up in two weeks with the VBS, right? And how this was like what Libby said about one, this is one of the greatest ways in which uh, Southern Baptist churches really get engaged with evangelism and the Great Commission, right? I mean, that is such a great opportunity to be a part of And yes, it will be hard work. You will be tired. You will be wiped out. Mm-hmm. That is guaranteed. I will guarantee you that. You will be exhausted. And you're going to come in on Sunday, that following Sunday, You may be tired. You might have bags in your eyes. I already have bags in my eyes, so you won't tell the difference. (laughs) But there will be joy in your heart, right? Because you you served in a greater purpose. You served the Lord, right? Now, we finally arrive to the final compelling component for the Christian's pursuit of missions. And the third compelling component is the spirit, and we find that in verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Right? Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send the promise. You need to stay here. Obey me, please. Stay here and wait. And the promise that we see is from John chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance All that I have said to you. We see the promise being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. As the Spirit descends upon them, it says that the people in the room, the disciples, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A couple of observations from verse 49 here, really quick. Observation 1 this is a God centered endeavor. This is a God-centered endeavor. Note in verse 49 that the primary character here is God, the triune God. Christ is sending the Holy Spirit that the Father promised. You got the Trinity right there. Christ is being faithful as God is always faithful in fulfilling his promises, right? You know, sometimes in ministry you come across people And you're talking to them, and you just get this weird vibe, like, what are you in this for? (laughs) Right? Like, are you in this so that you can perform on stage? Or are you in this because, like, you want to, like, gain a following? Oh, you want to be an influencer, that's why. Right? That's the word. That's the word. And I've come across people like that, too. But, they say all the right things, but you could tell that in the end, they're, they're, they're not fit for the ministry, or they got in for the wrong reasons. You know, missionaries are prone to this as well. Right, we, we come in, and we want to be the ones that go out. And like for a few seconds, all the attention's on you, because uh, you're the one going out. And then you go out, and then you realize, wait a minute, where's the attention? <laughs> hey, buddy, you went into this world of darkness. You're probably in a lot of darkness right now. (laughs) It is so important for Christians and for missionaries to grasp that this endeavor is completely led by God. We can read Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. It gets so worked up that we got to go, go, go. But in the midst of going, 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 we're actually doing it on our own strength. And we're doing it on our own plans. And we're doing it on our own planning and our own timing. Not recognizing that this endeavor requires God and his spirit. And that leads us to our second observation, that this is a spirit-empowered endeavor. Christ told the disciples to stay in the city until they were clothed from power from on high. This power comes from outside of them not from within, right? I sometimes wonder, what would, what would Christ think about Disney and the message that Disney likes to proclaim? Right? Disney likes to proclaim, like, oh, it's, it's in you. The answer's in you, you know? And I don't, I, I, they give some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. You know, but a lot of times, my kids will say, hey, why can't we watch this? Why can't we watch that movie? And I'm like, okay, so the primary reason why I tell them that they don't watch it is like, well, they teach you to disobey your parents, you break, down the, you break it down. What happened to Mufasa? What happened? Simba disobeyed. Just saying. Anyways. <laughs> That's a side note. If I offended you, I'm sorry. We could talk later. But what Christ is trying to tell them is that you need power that is outside of you. In order to go to these nations, to be a foreigner in them, and to tell them that they need to repent and believe in God. A divine power that results in discernment, conviction, and perseverance. Discernment is necessary because you will always have people giving their opinion about you being a missionary or being involved in the Great Commission, Right? You know, it's funny because as a missionary, you get a lot of encouragement, but you also receive a lot of opinions. And some of the opinions are good, I'll be clear, right? Some of the opinions are good, but sometimes the opinions are, requires discernment. Why that country? Why go now? You have a family, and what about your aging parents? You know, like we have a wonderful piano teacher. Like we have a wonderful piano teacher for our kids. And, you know, this last Tuesday she was saying, Are you sure you want to go to Taiwan right now? With China and, you know, coming in and, you know, with all this stuff. And there's a lot of great pastor jobs out here in California. I'm like, Yeah. (laughs) And I get her heart and I get her reasoning. Like, it, it, it doesn't mean, like, I, I don't, I, it's like, I, yeah, I agree. Yes, I'm scared. Like, China's going to come, try to do something that, like, Russia did to Ukraine. Of course. Like, you know where all the jets are flying? It's right next to my city that we're going to. So I think people have seen, they, they take pictures of, the, of those, of at least the Taiwan jets coming out. but you have to discern. Am I going because of safety? Am I going because of comfort? No. I'm going because this is the calling that God gave me, right? And I need to obey. How do you receive that discernment? It's going to come from the Spirit. Conviction is necessary because you're engaging a world of darkness that opposes everything God desires for us to do. Conviction requires staying true to the spirit and his truth and not wavering because of culture clashes or man-centered strategies. You have to be convicted to stay the course, and that's going to be sustained by the spirit. Perseverance is necessary because you will face discouragements and doubts, or sometimes you will face just straight-up opposition. And like I said before, the last two years I feel like has been a test of Perseverance. Again, I can't think of any other situation where why would you wait two years with a family to go and do this work? You know, last year was really hard on me because when December came around, I realized, like, man, 2021, I did absolutely nothing. My wife, at least she did something. She popped out a baby. (laughs) You know? I just sat there and... rah, rah, rah you know I, but at least she did something you know i look at 2021 and it was it was so depressing because it's like we didn't really accomplish anything we just stayed and waited all in all in what i shared if you're not empowered by the spirit then no man will ever want to be a missionary And of course, I'm using the word man there as mankind, women and men. Why go through all of this unless you are inspired by Christ and the desire for this power from above to be upon you as you engage the work? Now, again, Matthew 28, the Great Commission offers a plethora of conviction and insight for those who are called to be participants in the work globally. But Luke 24 gives us additional factors, additional compelling components to consider for those who are going on the field. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. We live in a day and age where Christians in the West have the, the, most, the most abundant amount of resources available at their fingertips. And so it's with this quote that I leave with you this morning and maybe it's a quote that you've heard from me before, but it's a book by Tom Wells called The Vision for Missions. It's a small orange book. I would totally recommend that book. And his entire thesis for this book is centered on these two statements, right? that God is worthy to be known and proclaimed for who he is, and two, those who know the most about God are the most responsible and best equipped to tell of him. And as we looked at this morning, in Luke chapter 24, 44 to 49, and noted how the word, the commission, and the spirit all play an integral part in the Christian's pursuit of missions. But for those who are called to support the missionaries, I leave you with the quote I just read from Tom Wells. I challenge you that for those who are staying and supporting to expand your capacity to worship Christ in all that you do and to deepen your priorities in seeing this good news spread overseas. You know the most about God. I bet you, in your context, with your neighbors, and with people around you, you know the most about God in comparison to the rest of the world. So accept that privilege. Equip yourself with as much as you can concerning the work overseas and proclaim our Savior wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. It continues to challenge us. It continues to show us, Lord God, the path that we need to be on. And though we may hear voices on the outside trying to influence us, we may hear the voices that try to change change our path, Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It guides our footsteps. And it's your word that we must follow. And so, God, as we come before you and as we enter into this 4th of July celebration, Lord God, we thank you for that. But as we've heard multiple times here this morning, help us to be engaged with our neighbors. Help us to be engaged with the nation's Help us, O God, to be faithful to you and to find our joy in you and you alone. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.